Good afternoon, my AOWs. This episode is going to be about how I became a menopause doctor. For those of you who are new to the show, this is going to be a really fun episode because I think putting into context why I do what I do and why I love what I do is really important to know. And if you're not new to the show, it's always fun to hear just, you know, telling the story again or seeing if there's any new tidbits to why I became a menopause doctor. Let's jump into it. Hi, and welcome to Health by Heather Hirsch, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by Evia. Evia is the first ever app that utilizes the science-backed technique of using hypnotherapy to effectively manage your hot flashes and night sweats naturally. Hypnotherapy is supported by NAMS, the North American Menopause Society is a proven mechanism to calm the body's stress response to bothersome hot flashes. Now with the Evia app, that's simply E-V-I-A in the app store, you will learn to soothe both day and night symptoms without the use of medications. You'll be able to track and evaluate your symptoms and so much more. They have a core five-week program that is Dr. Hirsch approved for at-home support. Start your seven-day free trial at eviamenopause.com slash Heather, which is E-V-I-A-M-E-N-O-P-A-U-S-E dot com slash Heather, or check the link in the description to get started. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. I hope you're doing something fun, whether you're out on a walk or out on a drive. Hopefully you're doing something that you enjoy. I'm excited to tell this story about how I became a menopause doctor. And this came up because I was looking through some of my TikTok comments and TikTok is a little bit of like Twitter mixed with really short YouTube videos where people will just tell you exactly what they think. And that's absolutely fine. That's the way the, this platform is kind of tending to go. But someone sent me a comment that said, you're obviously not in menopause. How would you know anything? And, you know, I actually, you know, it's not that it's an unfair question. And I, in TikTok, you can set up and do a reply and, and, oh my gosh, it took me like an, an hour just trying to film this and make it 15 seconds. And I realized that this is actually a really valid question and could be its own podcast. In truth, I was supposed to have um, some interviews recorded, but both of my guests came down with the virus that shall not be named. So you get me today. So I want to tell you how I became a menopause doctor and some funny stories along the way. But the other thing that I wanted to talk about is the idea that we should never judge by a cover anyone on anything. But certainly I'm going to relay this back to menopause. When I see patients in the office, someone will almost inevitably ask me, am I the only one or am I the youngest one? 
And I see such a wide spectrum of patients for consults in the office, but there is more than just one kind and one type of menopause. So the most common kind of menopause is natural menopause, where you keep both of your ovaries and you go through perimenopause, which probably has its purpose in preparing you for the complete loss of estrogen because in perimenopause, those estrogen levels are starting to come down. And so your body has a little bit of time to adjust to those lowering levels of estrogen. But for, you know, as many women as go through natural menopause, there are women who go through other types and kinds. There's surgical menopause, more and more commonly being seen in women who have high risk genetic mutations for breast, ovarian, colon cancers. And so they're having early surgical menopause. And there's also premature ovarian insufficiency or menopause before age 40. And there's even menopause due to chemotherapeutics and certain medications. In fact, I did a YouTube video on Kourtney Kardashian talking about early menopause, potentially from her in vitro fertilization journey and medications. So there's so many different types and kinds of menopause that you could be at any age. The earliest patient I've ever seen in menopause was is 17. She's probably older than that now. It's a couple years ago. And I also have, um, on the other end of the spectrum, um, a few women on that, you know, 57, 58, who are still, still just waiting for it to be a year of no periods. So we should certainly never judge anything, right? If a woman is, it doesn't matter, but certainly when it comes to menopause, now, if anyone is interested or doesn't know, I am not in menopause. I am 39, almost 40, and I've been doing menopause and perimenopause consultations for a long time, I guess since 2014, since 2014. And I want to tell you this story about my journey to becoming a menopause doctor because it really wasn't that, you know, I was a young college student and I said, I want to be a menopause doctor. <laughs> In fact, like, you know, the, the funny part about the whole story is certainly I've always really had a passion for taking care of women and always really been interested in women's health. But I didn't even think about menopause until I had my aha moment. So I'm going to kind of walk you through how I got to my aha moment. Let me take you back a couple of years of when I graduated medical school. When I graduated medical school, I always wanted to take care of women. So I thought, well, I have to go into OB-GYN, obstetrics and gynecology, or OBGYN, however you want to say it. You know, there seems to be this idea that women's health means delivering babies and talking about birth control. And that's a really surface level of what women's health entails. And I know that now, but I certainly get the opportunity to mentor uh, young doctors and doctors in training and medical students about taking care of women because they do come to me because they might say, I see that you still get to take care of women, but in this different way, you didn't do, you know, you don't not delivering babies. So how did you make it work? But the truth is that there's so many fields that require specialization from the lens of women's health. There's so many specializations. Cardiology has, you know, focuses in women's cardiology, sleep medicine and women in sleep mental health and women in mental health. You can go into absolutely any fields of medicine and do women's health. So one of the things I think that's actually tough with obstetrics and gynecology 
is it's a tough four-year training program. It's a tough residency. It is certainly focused on surgery and you need to be able to have those skills. But then I see those OBGYN colleagues are just very, very, very busy and, and very, very stressed, potentially because it's a high stress job. But there are many, many other ways to take care of women. So I didn't know that. Certainly, I, I didn't have the foresight to know that. So I started my career in OBGYN in 2010 at Case Western, and I was so excited to start. So I had spent a couple of you know weeks before starting my internship in Turkey, actually. This was like 2009 or 2010, and just had a blast and was going to be starting this new chapter in my life. But the truth is it was probably one of the hardest years of my life, not because I wasn't sleeping or I wasn't eating well and I wasn't taking care of myself, um, but I was overworked, burned out, um, really stressed and, and quite frankly, very bullied. And for those of you who are on my subscriber only episode, I'm going to be letting you in on that story of my first year of residency and what was, you know, a really terrible experience that I think everyone learned from, but there certainly was a lot of bullying. And this is a problem in any field of any line of work for sure. But what always catches people off guard is you would think that a predominantly female subspecialty of medicine would be supportive of women, but the case was, it was not. And I certainly don't want to speak for that or speak on that because I'm not in, 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 in obstetrics and gynecology, but I certainly do hear bits and pieces of that. And so I'll be sharing my thoughts for you over there. But my first year of residency was, again, difficult for those reasons. And at the same time, I also learned that actually there were places where I did really well and I and things that I was really good at. <laughs> was anyone looking at that? No, but that's, that's their fault actually, right? So the things that I was really good at was talking to patients. I had good bedside manner. I really loved helping patients make decisions. And I really liked being there with them through making difficult conversations. Things that I wasn't great at that I saw my colleagues really exceed at was, you know, being up in the middle of the night. Let's just say like it as like being up in the middle of the night, I hated. I'm still that way. I don't function well in the middle of the night. I'm a night owl. Like I like staying up, but you know, doing low key things like playing on my laptop or watching movies, but I wasn't great at making um, split second decisions, particularly in the middle of the night. And I have a little bit of OCD. No, I have diagnosed OCD. And I always say to my patients jokingly, it makes me a great doctor, but a bad wife. But it also really was hard for me to be in a situation where there was emergencies going on at any one time and then a lot of downtime. And so it was really hard for me to plan out. I really like to finish tasks, complete them, cross them off and go to the next one. So, you know, I always kind of have this joke of the board would be lighting up in terms of, you know, so-and-so is going to deliver and so-and-so, you know, is having a D cell and you need to go into that room. And I was like, but I'm finishing this. No, I just, you know, it was silly, but I, I, I just, my brain didn't seem to work in that way. So great. So anyways, um, I made the decision to, to transfer into internal medicine and it was, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I'm really an internist at heart and 
And that's true because I like to sit and talk and make difficult decisions, have conversations about risks and benefits and walk people through that. So, so really that was probably what I was always really good at was, you know, that consultative piece, helping people make decisions about their long-term health as opposed to like split second decisions. So it turned out to be the right switch for me. And so while I was doing my internal medicine residency, I got to be an intern twice. That was real fun. So, you know, it's just a lot of long hours and learning, but I needed to do that um, to be able to succeed. And uh, I realized that uh, my colleagues in internal medicine uh, were just so smart and they knew so much about risks and benefits and medications with all different types and kinds of risks and how to use all these complex medications in all these complex situations. And that was fantastic. Um, and, and I didn't know that at the time, but I loved it. It was kind of like playing, you know, Tetris, like putting all these really complicated pieces together and then, you know, succeeding or, or I just loved it. I loved, you know, just the slow time you could take helping people make decisions. So interestingly, I thought that I was going to go and do a fellowship in oncology and become a breast oncologist. <laughs> and it's just, it's kind of interesting now from where I'm sitting. But, you know, I thought, oh my gosh, I always want to take care of women. I love internal medicine. This is exactly what I should do. So then I did a rotation with one of the best oncologists. Um, and I, I would go see patients with her and I'd either go in first and then stay after the, the doctor came in. So I'd go and ask how they were doing and how they were doing with their treatment. And then I would kind of veer off track and I would say, how are you sleeping? Oh, you're having joint aches and pains. Oh, you're having a lot of vaginal dryness. Oh, you can barely take a walk around your block because of that. Oh my gosh. And then the oncologist would come in, her brilliant mind would start talking about, you know, risks and benefits of different chemotherapeutics and showing her her scans and helping her make decisions. And then she would leave and the patient would just be crying and saying, my marriage is falling apart. My self-esteem is falling apart. I don't know what to do. And I, I love that piece. And I was talking to my mom about how much I was loving this rotation. And she said, gee, it really sounds like you like the other piece besides for like the chemo part. And I was like, no, I don't think so. Oh, you're right. And she was right. Um, so I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do when I, I was on call and I was, remember, I don't love being working in the middle of the night, but you got to do it when you're a resident. So I must've been, you know, trying to keep myself awake and I was looking at different fellowship programs and I saw that the Cleveland clinic had a fellowship in women's health. It was literally just called women's health. And it's what we call a non-accredited fellowship. And, and all that really means is that um, there's pros and cons. You aren't a board certified women's health specialist, um, but when you do your training, you can tailor it to whatever you want to do. So it was at the Cleveland Clinic, which is pretty much next door to Case Western and in the University of Cleveland. It used to be called Case Medical Center, but the names have all gotten changed. And I think it has to do with the medical school and all those things. So don't quote me on what the names of the hospitals are anymore. I think it's University Hospitals of Cleveland and used formerly Case Western. Never mind. Don't know. So anyways, uh, I went to my um, interview 
um, with my now mentor, Dr. Thacker, and uh, she was giving a grand rounds that day on, you know, the politics of women's health and hormone therapy. And I thought I had, I was floored. And this is the same experience that I think patients have when they sit with me in the office and we talk about hormone therapy and all this data, or if you're in my masterclass, um, and I'll talk to you about that too, but in my masterclass, I really give you the same presentations. Not only do I give my patients, but much longer, much more in depth covering everything because there's a lot more time to do that in the office and only have maybe you know, 15, 20 minutes to relay this information. So, um, people are just floored and that's why the students in my masterclass love that research component of the thrive, my thrive signature method, because that research is just, it is, oh my goodness. It's just mind blowing Um, the way that, you know, the media has portrayed the evidence and, and, and just, just so many downstream effects from that. So I was hooked. I was hooked. I was hooked. And so I accepted once I got, um, an offer to do that fellowship from 2014, to 2016, I was super excited and I came in, I was really interested in women's health and, you know, teaching internists how to do contraception and intrauterine devices and how to place those and all of that. And, you know, I was there for a couple of weeks and I realized Dr. Thacker really specialized in menopause, which I thought was like kind of cool. Um, but it wasn't until really, I had my aha moment of, Oh my gosh, women are flying from across the country to come to Cleveland, to Cleveland. There's not, it's not, again, I always kind of joke. It's not super desirable city, but like, you know, there is probably more fun to come to Boston or go to Mayo Clinic in Arizona or Florida. Right. But people would go to Cleveland because they could not figure out what was wrong with them. They couldn't figure out how to get treated. Their doctors wouldn't, you know, treat them with hormone therapy. Their doctors didn't quote believe in hormone therapy. Their doctors, you told them it was going to give them breast cancer. Their doctors told them they couldn't cause their mom had breast cancer when she was 80 and just over and over and over and over and over like day after day, woman after woman, after woman, after woman. And Dr. Thacker couldn't see women fast enough. And I was like, Oh my gosh, holy yak. This is, this is crazy. This is crazy. And everything that I was taught about menopause and hormone therapy and my seemingly top notch internal medicine residency residency was really not evidence-based. I didn't really know the data. I never really studied the women's health initiative or sat and studied all the trials that came after the women's health initiative. Quick plug. We talk about those in the masterclass and I just could not believe my eyes and coming from someone who prior to medical school, I didn't take you this far back. I double majored in women's studies and biology. It it was just this like, and you know, I really love this idea of being able to sit with patients make difficult decisions, talk about risks and benefits, and be there with them in these life-changing moments. And it's so incredible when my patients, when my students, or anyone says like, my life is completely changed. It is addictive. It's wonderful. I mean, it's it's literally such a wonderful feeling. And all through my OBGYN residency and all through my internal medicine residency and all through, you know, the few years I was doing primary care, no one has ever said to me, you have saved my life or I have gotten my life back really until I was doing menopause medicine. <laughs> and so it's the best job in the world. It's the best job in the world. 
And so, you know, after I did my fellowship, I went to Ohio state and I was doing primary care there and I was doing consultative menopause clinic. And, you know, every once in a while I have my patients write me stories. And I remember this story about, um, this patient who was coming to see me and she wrote to me, I was expecting to see this, you know, wise and seasoned Eleanor Roosevelt like type older doctor. And here comes this young, bouncy, very pregnant doctor. (laughs) And I was, I was very pregnant at the time. I've had three babies, three pregnancies while I've been doing menopause care. So, you know, there's certainly this like, Oh, does she know anything? But I, I will I will say with, with, with clear confidence that I know, I really know so much about menopause and perimenopause and midlife care. And that's really because I have spent hundreds of thousands of hours talking about menopause, talking to women about menopause and perimenopause, treating perimenopause, talking to journalists, talking to researchers, talking at conferences, teaching other doctors. And I will continue to spend hundreds of thousands of hours doing this throughout my lifetime. And there's a couple things that continue to fuel me. First and foremost, it's that you changed my life. I mean, how, how amazing is that? I always thought, you know, when I saw babies being born, that this was the most beautiful thing and the most important time in a person's life. And, uh, there, nothing would ever top that in medicine, but I promise you, if you, I promise you, uh, that, Actually being there when a woman says without anyone else in the room, without any other human, without just, you know, giving life to someone that when they say you, I I got my life back, that is incredible. And I know for being a mom and having babies and going through all those things and, and I will go through menopause and I will go through perimenopause. And I, I did a whole podcast on my plan for menopause. That's also my subscriber only show, but you know, I will I will be prepared, but the feeling of taking care of yourself for you and only you is really special. And I think that it leads up to this moment. And that's why I think the perimenopause and menopause transition is the most important, right? There's puberty, there's, um, walking through birth control options, there's postpartum, and then there's the menopause, perimenopause transition. And that's why it's the most important because it is really for you. And I do believe that how you treat yourself in that transition is how you're going to set yourself up for the remainder of your life on this beautiful earth. And that's why it's so important to make sure that you thrive. And I know that you can, because I have seen thousands of women do it and all in different ways and all super individual and all with different risks and benefits and pros and cons and family history. And it's amazing whether it's hormone therapy or non-hormone therapy. It's just wonderful. It's just beautiful. So that's why I love being a menopause doctor and I love what I do. What's also so cool about what I do is that, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a wonderful time because I think menopause and perimenopause is undergoing a little bit of a renaissance and probably social media. Social media has been great for raising awareness of all different kinds of things. And I think the current generation is not going to take menopause in the same way that, uh, their parents did. And then interestingly, I was talking to my mom this last weekend. She was telling me about my grandmother's menopause. And isn't that crazy? Just, just let me tell you why I think that's crazy. Grandparents, whatever age you are, are mythical creatures because you remember them when you were, you were really young, most of the time. 
and you, you, you know, you, you remember them and, and grandparents, grandparent life is usually, I mean, I could be totally wrong, but my patients always tell me like having the best part about having kids is being a grandparent and that there just, this this magic and their specialness of being a grandparent to how you interact with your grandkids, probably much different than how you interact with your parents. You know, I, again, it could be totally different, but my grandmother definitely suffered from depression. And my mom was telling me the story as I was driving uh, and chatting with her on the phone, which is the best time to chat with someone, right? When you're on the driving, my grandmother um, grew up in the depression and she was married to, uh, she got married to my grandfather who was an OBGYN. I kid you not. I can't, I can't make this up. It comes full circle. And, uh, this was back in the day when, you know, when they got married, when he like, you just like delivered babies whenever you didn't have like partners that went in or someone that was on call. Like the baby was born, like you go. And this it's still a male dominated world, but imagine like in like the fifties. And so my grandmother, I believe in like the late thirties, um, she got a scholarship, an art scholarship in New York city. Um, but my great grandparents, I suppose, didn't, couldn't send her. Like they couldn't, they couldn't send her, even though she got a scholarship, they couldn't send her in the depression, send a girl for an art fellowship scholarship in the great depression era. Absolutely not. So she was brilliant, but you know, she married my grandfather who was a doctor. And of course, you know, he got all the attention, right? He was like the local and he was just like the best, nicest, the best. And I think that was so hard for her to be a stay at home mom and know that she could have gone to college, but she couldn't have. And she had a lot of depression. My mom started to sort of tell me how, you know, during her perimenopause, she had a lot of rage and I think she was institutionalized. And because that, that, that's, I guess I wasn't around then, but I guess that's kind of like what happened. And my mom started to piece together. She's like, yeah, it was probably her menopause oh my gosh, yes. The things that like, the things that, that have been taken for granted or made completely invisible, um, as a part of women's health are a lot of things, but menopause is, is the pinnacle of that. Midlife is the pinnacle of just being completely invisible. Like for so long, I don't even, I don't even know it probably wasn't even considered a thing. I don't know. So I love being a part of menopause. I love, you know, treating it. I love talking about it. I love thinking about the politics. I love fighting for, you know, equality in terms of healthcare, a big part of which is menopause because men don't go through that. And women are not small men, like by, by no means. Hormones are totally different. The reason the pathology and physiology for diseases and chronic conditions is totally different because of the different hormones. I love, you know, seeing that there's more awareness. I love that women are asking questions. I totally fine with people saying like, how do you know what you're talking about, lady? You're not even menopause. So now you can see how that like 15 second TikTok was very hard to make, but I love doing this and I'm so delighted I get to be involved in, in all of these things. I get to be on, you know, different boards. I get to help, um, companies. I get to help, you know, brainstorm how we can improve the, the care of women's health after women have children, if, if they even choose to have children. It's very, very, very fulfilling and very exciting. 
All right. If you uh, head over to my subscribers only episode, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my first year of internship, how difficult that was for me and why that probably shaped a little bit about who I am today. So you can check that over on, you have to be on Apple podcasts. If you want to enroll in the reclaiming menopause masterclass, you absolutely should. You get to spend so much time with me. Um, the masterclass has three core components. First is the educational component. I help you pick hormone therapy and figure out exactly what pieces of that Tetris puzzle that you need, then I help you actually have a really amazing conversation with your own doctor. Yes, trust me, this has worked for all my students so that you can get what you need right where you are. We do live calls and support calls and I'm cheering you on and you get to join our exclusive inner group of women who are all helping each other succeed. The link um, to book a call with me for that's in the description in the bio. And thank you guys so much for listening in. Thank you for your stars. Thank you so much for your comments on the podcast. Please share it with a friend. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, not a lot of actionable steps, but really, I do think that this topic involves all of us. And that's why I started really thinking about all of my listeners as my army of women, because really you are going to change the world. You are going to make a better place for your younger friends, your younger sisters, or your older friends or older sisters, right? You might be, you might be young in menopause, you know, and definitely for the next generation of women. So I need all of you to feel that same passion that I do. And I know that you do. I'll see you guys next week for a brand new episode. Thank you for listening. Bye everyone. If I haven't already done so, thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to my show. Consider subscribing so you never miss an episode. Also, if you love the show, your stars or a quick review could really help other women who are searching for information on menopause and midlife around the globe find this show. If you want to work with me, consider the Reclaiming Menopause Masterclass. The link for that is in the description to this show. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart for all your support, and I'll see you next week for a brand new episode. Episode.